We see from Daniel, his friends, the, the handmaidens that took care of Moses, Rachel, the prostitute in Jericho, who protected the spies, and of course, Paul himself, who wrote Romans, that they all went against what the governing authorities of the day said. Paul himself was arrested and flogged and imprisoned and dragged before councils, the governing authorities, many times. He was in direct contravention of rules and regulations of the Jews and of the Romans. And he wrote Romans 13 verse 1 to 7. Let us not forget our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified because he was accused of breaking the law. Am I saying today that we should become lawbreakers? No, of course not. What I am saying is that we need to honor and obey laws and regulations insofar as it is in line with God's order. When those rules, regulations and laws endanger your family and when it wants to force you to disobey the word of God, then we need to take a serious moment and see God's face on how we should respond, act or resist. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. All right, so because we have a few guests today, this is a few things that I'd like to share from my heart so you know what the context is. First and foremost, Love Key Church is a Bible-believing church. We believe, first and foremost, that the Bible is the Word of God, that it is inspired by God, and that man's opinion is not equal to or more important than the Word of God. And as we are led by Holy Spirit, we exploring, we're exploring the Word of God. So that is our focus when we study the Word of God. And I spoke earlier about the values of our church. We want to be a place where people encounter God, align with His purposes in order to reign in life and to help others to do the same. We've been working through those values since the church started about a year ago, and we are now busy with the value of reign in life as part of a series. And today is our seventh message in line with that series. Seven. Um, <laughs> when I wrote that down, I'm like, what? Is that possible? And it is. Okay, so I'm going to start again with our series verse, and then I'm going to try to bring you into what I believe God wants to share with us today. Let's read it from, uh, let's read Romans 5 verse 17 from the New Living Translation. It says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. What a promise. Today we're going to remind ourselves of the most important first commandment and look at the powerful and inspiring beginning chapters of the book of Daniel. We will be studying how Daniel and his friends handled it when they were put under pressure by rulers and authorities of their day to do things that were contrary to their faith. Thank you, Malifi. We're also going to look at Romans 13, verse 1 to 7, which is a highly debated piece of Scripture in the times we're in. 
And ultimately, I believe God wants us as believers to take a moment to grapple with this difficult question that's becoming more and more challenging in the challenging times we're in. We'll see from the stories of Daniel and his friends that their faithfulness to God also led to promotion and authority. They literally reigned in life. And they literally got promoted when they stood for what was God's truth and not what the world was trying to force on them. We had this special moment of dedicating babies today, young children. They are coming into a very interesting world. And we as parents need a lot of help, guidance, and wisdom in how to raise our children in this world. I believe God is leading us more than ever to make a definite decision about who or what we choose to bow to. And that is our message of today. Bow to none but the one. Who are we bowing to? I have to say this from the start. This is not a political message. This is not an activist speech. Some people may see it that way, but it's not what it is. This is a loving message that comes from your elder, your pastor, and taking scriptures and, to take, uh, and what is said today, and I want you to go and pray about what is said and what is shared today and ask Holy Spirit for wisdom on how to apply these biblical principles to your own life. We have to ask ourselves this very important question. Do I bow to anything else but God? Let's read Exodus 20 from verse 2 to 6. Exodus 20 is where Moses is sharing the Ten Commandments, the tablets that he just got from the mountain, from the Word of God, and he's sharing it with them. And he's speaking on behalf, and God is speaking to his people saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath, or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation and those who hate, of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments." In Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40, we hear Jesus echo this value, this truth, this commandment. He's asked by a lawyer who's trying to catch him out, what are the most important commandments? And Jesus answers, or he says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I wanted to, to read to you bits and pieces from Daniel 1, chapter 1 to chapter 6. But I realized it's very long. It's a lot of scripture, but there are some amazing moments. But I, I, I'm going to give you just now when we start with the, 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 I'm giving you scripture and then I'm going to delve into these scriptures. 
So just know that one of our scripture references is Daniel chapter 1 to 6, all right? And then I want to take you to Romans 13, verse 1 to 7. It says in the New King James, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to your good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger <laughs> to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Who of you knew that the Bible spoke about taxes? Okay, so that's, that's the scriptures I want you to have in the back of your mind. We're gonna, I'm going to try to, from then, bring the message that I have for you today. Some of you will remember we had a message on the kingdom of God, and it was, I spoke about how there are two kingdoms. The two kingdoms, kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light, kingdom of God, kingdom of the devil. When we look at the story of Daniel and his friends, they, they knew names that God was Sadrach, Meshach, and to bed you go, Abednego. Um, their first names were actually much nicer. Uh, Daniel's name was changed to Balthazar, something very interesting, but I'm just going to call him Daniel because that's his God-given name. <laughs> but we look at, when we see this context of the children of God, they are in captivity. Why are they in captivity? Because the nation of Israel sinned against God, not just once, not just twice, continually. They did not adhere to that first commandment that Moses gave them. They made other gods that they served. And especially Jeremiah, who is known as the weeping prophet, continually prophesied and said, you have to come back to God. You have to stop worshiping these idols because otherwise you will be captured in Babylon for 70 years. He told them and they ignored him. And it actually reminds me, I didn't write this down, but I was just thinking when Moses gave them the Ten Commandments, they had just been rescued from Egypt where they were in captivity for 400 years. Anyway, so we see this pattern. Now, Daniel and his friends were part of a first wave of Jews that were taken into captivity into Babylon. They were mostly young, intelligent people, and the plan was to groom them to work in the, for the king and for the kingdom of Babylon. Uh, yeah, as I said, Jeremiah prophesied that. Okay, so it happened. Things looked really bad. The people of God are now basically enslaved. The people of God are enslaved by non-believers, pagans, people who don't serve God. They are the enemy. But God had a plan, even in this situation, where his people are captive, taken captive, and he let it happen. The Bible says he let them be taken into captivity. It was punishment. But he always has a plan to save. And 
a lot of these Bible characters are a shadow of Jesus, a Savior placed among us to, at the right time, bring us into salvation. He placed among those who were captured first four very special young men who were probably between the ages of 14 to 17. In chapter 1, we see the first test for their faith in God. They are told to eat meat and drink wine, to be fattened up so that they look good for the king. So the, the, the tradition, the culture of Babylon wants them to be like them by eating meat and drinking wine. Daniel didn't refuse and openly rebel against this, but it was against his uh, value, it was against his beliefs. And rather, what happened was, it says there specifically that he found favor with the leading eunuch who wanted to accommodate him, but was afraid of the king. So Daniel came up with a plan. Even as a youth, he was very wise. But keep in mind, the reason that he was doing what he was doing was because he wanted to keep honoring God, and he didn't want to bow to a foreign God. He didn't want to bow to a foreign way. He told them, give us 10 days where we're going to eat vegetables, you guys eat meat and drink wine. And at the end of the 10 days, you tell us who looks better. And at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked much better, much healthier, plus they were performing better in terms of the academic things that they were being trained in. And they were seen as the best students among all those who were taken captive. The king at the time, Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream shortly after this. This is our next chapter. It talks about Nebuchadnezzar having a dream. Now, this guy is not a reasonable guy. He had a dream. It upset him. He called all the wise men and all kinds of weird things like they're called satraps and soothsayers and all these people. He called them and said, I had a dream. It was not like Martin, Martin Luther King's dream. I had a dream. It upset me. You must tell me what the dream is and the interpretation. They're like, please tell us the dream and then we will give you an interpretation. He says, no. Dream first, then interpretation. They're like, there's no way we can do this. So he gets angry. He tells the gods to kill all the wise men, all the soothsayers, all these people. Among them was Daniel and his friends. So the god comes to kill Daniel and his friends. And I love this. Daniel actually has a conversation with him. It's not like the guy rushed in there with a sword already drawn. Then he's like, hey, why is this happening? And he reasons with him. He hears what's going on. And he says, tell the king that we will let him know what his dream was and what the interpretation is. And then it says so beautifully that he and his friends went and they prayed and they asked for the mercies of God and God showed them the dream. Imagine that. God showing you what someone else dreamt. And the interpretation. And it's an incredible dream with an incredible interpretation. And if you go into the prophetic um, studies of this, he predicts up to 1,500 years ahead of time what's going to happen. It's amazing. We're not going to focus on that, but that is amazing. But Daniel's dependency, Daniel and his friends' dependency on God gave them supernatural wisdom. What is super? Above the natural ability to lead them to reign in life. Because what happened after this is they were promoted. When they laid out the dream, he, uh, actually Daniel was promoted and Daniel spoke to the king and then all the friends were promoted as well. So no, as well, there's a little principle there that when you are honoring God and being promoted in this world, 
you can take your friends along with you. Your favor will make way for others. Your gift will make way for others. Now, it seems like that chapter ends on a high. Nebuchadnezzar is telling everybody, this is the real God, the God of Daniel. You must worship him. You must honor him. He, it ends that way. And the very next chapter starts with, then Nebuchadnezzar put up a golden statue and told everyone to worship it. I'm like, what happened between that last sentence and this first sentence? It's, it's, it's not clear, but he just decides. This is a gold statue, and everyone has to worship it. And then he gets word that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not comply with bowing to the golden image. And they are dragged before Nebuchadnezzar and given another chance to obey. He says, now when the, when the music starts playing, because they set it up that if a flute and a, and a, I don't know how many instruments, if anything plays, you have to bow. So then they played it and they didn't do it. And then they told him, well, he gets very angry and they said to him, we don't have to answer to you because we have to be obedient to our God. And even if you throw us in there and we die, he will still, he's still our God. He is still good. We still believe in him. Imagine that faith. Imagine that confidence in God. And Nebuchadnezzar got so angry, he told him to heat the furnace seven times more than usual. The soldiers who threw them in died outside from the heat. And they threw them in there. And the next moment, Nebuchadnezzar says, didn't we throw three guys in there? Because I'm seeing a fourth. And he says, in the New King James, so this seems to be something people don't translate exactly the same way. In the New King James, it says that I'm seeing a fourth person like the Son of God with capital letters. Other translation says, he says, it looks like the Son of a God or gods with small letters. So it's not clear exactly what he said, but to me, he recognizes something supernatural is happening. They come out, they don't even smell like smoke. Their hair is not singed. Soldiers died throwing them into this furnace. They come out, nothing is wrong. Then, after this amazing thing that happens, again, they are promoted and the kingdom is told to worship the God of these people every time. Now, in the next chapter, we see that Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, and Daniel interprets it, but it's not good news. It's not good news for Nebuchadnezzar. It's actually quite bad news. It says that he's going to get so prideful, and God is going to make him be like an animal that's going to go to the field, and he's just going to basically go crazy. And that happens. But somehow it says he comes back to God and it actually ends with a Nebuchadnezzar praising God. But he's lost everything that he had in terms of earthly value. Then his son, Belshazzar, is king. And it's a very short chapter. And he falls, we see that he falls in the same pattern as his father. Prideful, arrogant. And there's a scene, this is a, the well-known, the writing is on the wall scene, is with King Belshazzar where he is having a party with all his wives and concubines and everybody, and they actually tell them to bring the, the Israelites worship cups and special items from the temple and to bring it, and they drank wine and had a party with those things. 
And then a hand appears and starts writing on the wall. And they call for Daniel. And Daniel tells them what it says, and it basically also prophesies the end of Belshazzar's life. And it's this weird interaction where Belshazzar says to him, you know, I'm, I'm hearing you. And he, he's like, it's not good news, but he still gives him gifts and like honors him. And, the next, and that night, Belshazzar is killed and he's dead. So already Daniel has been through three kings. No, two kings. The third is on his way. Sorry, two kings, third is on his way. The next one is called Darius. And he really likes Daniel. He has promoted him as one of only three governors that's below the king over Babylon. So he is in a very influential position. And then it says he distinguished himself even further so that Darius wanted to put him as second in command over the whole province. And that's where we read that the wise men, the satraps, the soothsayers, all these people got very jealous. And they started looking for ways to accuse him before Darius. Does that sound familiar? What did the Jewish leaders do to Jesus? They kept trying to find ways to accuse him. Do you see that? It's just an interesting side note. Threw that in for free there. They're trying to find a charge against him, but they fail. Why? Because he is a man of God who has integrity and has, is blameless before God. And if you are blameless before God, you are also blameless in front of people unless they do what these guys did and they set him up. These wise men then go to Darius and manipulate him, appealing to his pride and convinces him to erect a statue of himself, which everyone must bow to and worship for the next 30 days. And anyone who doesn't bow only to this image will be thrown in the lion's den. Then there's a very interesting verse. It literally says this, Daniel after seeing the decree, it's, no, sorry, that's what I said. The Bible says, now when Daniel knew the writing was signed, when Daniel knew the writing was signed, it says he went home and he prayed to God as he did three times a day facing Jerusalem. Open windows. The conspirators, conspirators were waiting for him to do this because they knew he would do this. Even the guys who had it in for him at least respected how constant he was and how solid he was in the Lord. They were waiting for him and they grabbed him and they brought him before Darius and they accused him and said he prayed to his God. And Darius is upset because he really likes Daniel. He doesn't want this to happen. And then what happens is you see these wise men say to the king, well, king, you know, the, the law of the Persians and the Medes says that if you've made a decree, you can't change it. So they are now quoting their own law to the king, trapping him in his own decision that they manipulated him to make in the first place. And he goes, and I mean, he could have changed it. He's the king. But he feels stuck in that moment. And in that moment, he makes a, he makes a decision and he says, okay, we have to do it. Throw him into the lion's den. He seals it with his own ring and he hardly sleeps. That, the king hardly sleeps. And the next morning he goes to the lion's den and he says, did your God save you? 
And Daniel speaks back and says, yes, he sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. And Daniel came out and Darius threw all the accusers with their wives and their children into the lion's den. And the Bible says their bones were crushed before they even hit the ground. Nice Bible story. Now listen to the end of chapter 6. I I skimmed through these. I want to encourage you to go and read these chapters in depth. Meditate on them. See the pattern of what is happening with people who honor God when circumstances are difficult. And then at the end of this, we read this amazing thing by King Darius. It says in Daniel 6 verse 25 to 28. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian, which was the king after Darius. Cyrus was the king who sent the Jews back, let them go back home when they wanted to. Can you see this amazing pattern? Daniel and his friends were in a foreign land, a world that they are not from, and which is strange to them. This world, the system of government that is not the same as the one they know, wants to make them conform to their ways in terms of culture and religion. We see this in how they are forced to follow the king's preferred diet, how they are forced to bow to a gold image and to a human king. They are forced to do things that's not in line with serving God. Daniel and his friends are representative of the children of God, believers who have chosen to put God first in their lives. They know who their God is, what he expects of them, and they recognize when the rules forced upon them by the governing authorities that if they are not in line with the will of their Father in heaven. They know so much what God wants and what his kingdom is about that they can recognize when something is not of his kingdom. I believe many believers today struggle to make that distinction because they are not solid enough in the word of God to know who is God, what he wants, and what his will is. If we did, then we would more easily go and say, these things are not okay, and I'm not going to do them. They stood up for what they believed. With the diet, it was less of a big deal, but they negotiated and engaging the enemy, Daniel was able to stay faithful to God. Plus, sticking to your convictions earned him favor with the eunuch and the king and led to promotion. And also we see that if you are strong, In sticking to your convictions in smaller matters, if you are faithful in the little, you will more probably be faithful when the stakes are higher. And the stakes do get much higher. When they are told you went against the king's decree on two separate occasions and the king wanted them to worship an idol and there were dire consequences if they were to disobey. 
The friends didn't bow to the golden image when the sounds went off, and Daniel didn't bow to the king's image in the 30-day period. In fact, he went to pray straight after hearing about the decree. He went to do the exact opposite, the exact opposite of what the governing authority decreed. Both the friends and Daniel were sentenced to the punishment which was promised in the case of non-compliance. They were sentenced. The consequences that were promised, if they didn't comply, were done. And in both cases, they survived impossible odds. The fire didn't even singe the hairs on their head. A fourth was seen in the fire. Daniel survived the night with lions. Both times, the respective kings had a massive change of heart, a change of attitude. Both times, they honored the God of Daniel and his friends and told everyone to respect and fear their God. Then they killed the ones who accused them, and they promoted the Jews. This is the pattern we see every time. We are told by God and Jesus to make God the Father first in our lives. Back to Exodus 20 and that piece in Matthew. To love Him with all of who we are. To make Him the ultimate first in our lives. Daniel and his friends are an inspiring example of what this looks like in practice. It's easy to sit in church and say, glory, hallelujah, amen, I am a Christian, I believe in God. It's easy. It's in the world out there, in your workplace, in your social life, where it, where it matters most and where it will show who is really first in your life. So what are we to do when we are forced by leaders in a local setting or by governing authorities on a provincial or national level to do something that is tantamount to bowing to a golden image? that is equal to worshiping something other than God. Do we follow Daniel and his friend's example? If so, to what extent? What's the line? And this is where it gets interesting, talking about these things today. I want us to look at Romans 13 from 1 to 7 again. This scripture has been very much debated over the last two years among Christians. Some believe that this should be adhered to in the strictest sense with the understanding that all governing authorities have been put in place by God and therefore should be obeyed. Some people believe that we should read this and go, even if they are evil and they are against God's word, it doesn't matter. They were put there by God. We have to adhere. When I look at the wording, the context and the person who wrote it, along with many other stories and principles in the Bible, in other words, if I don't look at this scripture in isolation, but in context, I tend to agree more with the other side of the argument, which is that the passage is supposed to be read as a descriptive measure of what godly government should look like, rather than a prescriptive instructions of what we should do with the governing authorities we have. Does that make sense? In other words, Paul is saying what government should look like under God. He's not telling us that you have to adhere no matter what. All right? In other words, when a government does not follow God, honor God, or defend people that are good according to the work of, word of God and punishes those that are evil according to the word of God, then they do not qualify as falling under this description. It's like a father 
who is by God's order supposed to lead his family, love his family, and he has God-given authority. But he does an evil thing and leaves his family and abdicates his responsibility. He loses his God-given authority. He gives it up. We see from Daniel, his friends, the, the handmaidens that took care of Moses, Rachel, the prostitute in Jericho, who, who protected the spies, and of course, Paul himself, who wrote Romans, that they all went against what the governing authorities of the day said. Paul himself was arrested and flogged and imprisoned and dragged before councils, the governing authorities, many times. He was in direct contravention of rules and regulations of the Jews and of the Romans. And he wrote Romans 13 verse 1 to 7. And some of you may get angry with me about saying this, but let us not forget our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified because he was accused of breaking the law. Am I saying to that that we should become lawbreakers? No, of course not. Emphatically, I am not saying that we should break the law. I'm not saying that we should protest in the streets and lobby the government. Unless God has called you to do that in a godly way, sure. But I'm not calling for a protest. What I am saying is that we need to honor and obey laws and regulations insofar as it is in line with God's order. In, his, in line with His will and justice. In other words, for example, murder is wrong. It's against God's word. So murderers should be punished. Yes. But when we start seeing people being arrested for standing up for, for Jesus, for having church services, while others are going free, then we need to start saying, whoa, what's happening here? That's different. When governing authorities are protecting what is good according to God and punishes evil according to God, then we need to adhere. But when rules, regulations, and laws are designed by governing authorities that do not know God, honor God, or fear God, and those rules, regulations, and laws are tantamount to bowing to an ungodly idol, then we need to take a pause, take a moment, pray, speak with each other, your fellow believers, and seek wisdom from God as to how you can stay true to God while not bowing to a man-made idol. When those rules, regulations, and laws endanger your family and your children, and when it wants to force you to disobey the Word of God, then we need to take a serious moment and see God's face on how we should respond, act, or resist. There are some horrific things happening in the world right now. There are governments putting bills in place that want to remove the, the authority and the influence of parents from their children's lives. This is ungodly, and it should not stand, and we should not let it happen. We have to know, as believers of God, where the line is. Because Romans 13 does give us an instruction, and we should obey it, but only insofar as it is in line with God's will. When it is not, we need wisdom and guidance in how we are going to be like Daniel and his friends. There may be moments where we can negotiate and honor God while changing the system around us. And maybe God is calling us to be in positions of authority so that we can do that for his kingdom. 
But there may also be times where we stand up and there's no way of not feeling the consequences of our decision to honor God first. And then the question we all have to ask ourselves, am I willing? Am I willing to do this for Jesus? Church, please hear the heart of this message. It's not to rebel. It's not to willfully disobey authorities or anything like that. It's to be aware and vigilant about the times we are in and to choose to not be unwise puppets who believe and adhere to just anything we're told. But ultimately, we need to honor God and follow Jesus. That is the heart of this message. Amen? I want us to take a moment to reflect and respond to this scripture. And so I want you to all just close your eyes and focus on Jesus. Let's close our eyes and think of Jesus and just... First of all, I'd like to ask you to just bring all your worries, all your fears, all your anxieties. Just bring it before God. Because even those can be idols in our lives, things we worship because we focus on it so much. Let's lay down everything we worry about, everything we're afraid of, everything that makes us anxious. Let's just come and bring it before God. The words, the Word of God says, Cast your burdens unto me, for I care for you. So let's cast those burdens unto Jesus. Thank you, Father. Let us make a choice today. Let us make a choice today to obey the first and most important commandment. To love God with all that we are. And to worship only Him as our one and only true Father in heaven. And let us take a moment to ask Holy Spirit, what people or things in my life I have bowed to or are bowing to currently in my life? And as He reveals those things to you, I want you to repent, lay those things down, ask forgiveness, and turn to God and do things His way. Give Him all of who you are. And finally, let us ask God for supernatural wisdom and how to navigate these challenging times that we're in. I'm just going to give you like a minute to go through those questions in your, in your spirit being, and then I'm going to end with a prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Father, God Almighty, Master of the Universe, Father in Heaven, we humbly come before You in this moment. Lord, we bring everything in our lives that, that may be an idol, a thing that we are bowing to other than You, fear, anxiety, Worries, systems, people, relationships. Lord, whatever it might be, we just bring it before you. And we ask that you 
forgive us, wash us clean and make us free from these things that are keeping us in bondage. Lord, we are sorry for not making you first in our lives in everything. We are sorry for just thinking you're a God of Sundays. You are God of all. You are God of everything. You are everywhere, all the time. Always loving, always powerful. Jesus, we humbly submit our lives to you. And all of us choose now to say, Lord, have your way. Lord, have all of my heart. Have all of my mind. Have all of my strength, my spirit, my soul. I, I give it all to you. I surrender it all to you. And I choose to make you first in my life. And I lay down anything else that is not you. Holy Spirit, I ask for supernatural wisdom for each and every one of us and how we should handle the uncertain, challenging and ungodly times that we live in. Lord, we are bombarded with so many lies, so many ungodly things that we are expected to do. We bring all of that stuff to you today and we ask that you will help us to navigate this in a godly kingdom way. We ask that you will help us that to, to have the wisdom like Daniel and his friends had. That we will have the words to say in the right moment like Paul, Peter and the apostles had when they were confronted by authorities. We ask that you will help us to stand for your kingdom. We are not here to play games, Lord. It's about eternity. It's about what really matters. And we pray that you'll help us as we raise our children, as we dedicated these beautiful children today, and as we have all these kids in our church and all these young people, Lord, we need wisdom that only you can give. We need strength that only you can give. We need resolve that only you can give to stand in the times we're in. Right now, Lord, I just sense that I, I need to put on the armor of God on behalf of all of us from Ephesians 6. Because, Lord, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the rulers, the authorities, the principalities of darkness that are operating in the heavenlies. But, Lord, you are greater than all those things. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So right now, Lord, with my church family here, we all choose to put on the helmet of salvation. We, if we are truly born again and given our lives to you, Lord, we can know that our minds are protected by salvation. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. Through faith and by grace, we have been made right with you. And that protects our hearts. Thank you for that, Jesus. We take up the shield of faith by which we can stop the fiery darts of the enemy. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We take up that shield. Lord, we take up the sword that is your word. Even you, Jesus, when you were tempted by the devil, you said, it is written. It is written. It is written. And it's also the Spirit of God. That is our sword. And we take it up and we know in the name of Jesus, we can say it is written and it will shift things. Amen. We take on the belt of truth 
that keeps everything together, the truth of God's Word, the only truth that matters, not opinion, not man's truth, only your truth matters, Lord. We put that on and we wear that with pride, pride in you, confidence in you. And Lord, finally, we put on the shoes of the willingness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, even in the story of Daniel, we see a shadow of you, the Savior, that came to stand in the place that we should have stood in, that became a ransom for us. I thank you, Jesus, today that you lead us to bring your good news to everyone around us. Give us the boldness, the confidence, and the words to share the truth and the love of Jesus with everyone around us. Bless us, strengthen us, and guide us. I pray a blessing over each and every one here. The Lord bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you. Thank you, Jesus. We receive your blessing. We receive your protection. And we thank you for this church. Help us to grow from, go from strength to strength. Help every marriage to go from strength to strength. Every family, every single person, be with them in this time, Lord, where they are waiting on their, their husband or wife. Help them, lead them, and guide them. Bless our connect groups. Bless our children's church, every ministry that we have. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church Podcast Message of the Week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you, make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you, your marriage and your family. Bye-bye.